This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station. News Radio 105.9. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on Thursday afternoon, February 15th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. All-new interactive exhibition featuring the Titanic opens in Skokie tomorrow. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, restaurants in Chicago are eagerly anticipating next summer's Democratic National Convention. We welcome in Frank Ruffalo, managing partner of Franco's Restaurant Group, which manages five restaurants in Chicago, including Il Coulis Chino, which is located across the street from McCormick Place. Frank, thank you for joining us today. So the proximity to McCormick Place and just downtown Chicago in general uh, gives you a good idea of what conventions and shows like the auto show or the upcoming DNC mean to a restaurant's bottom line. Absolutely. And you know what? We see that with a couple large scale events, um, you know, and when you get those few and far between, you got to take those and run with it. So we're very excited to see what's going to happen. Now, the auto show obviously uh, features members of the general public uh, showing up to uh, gawk at uh, all, all types of uh, cars, yep. uh, both uh, modern and uh, futuristic. But conventions bring people who are flush with expense account cash. So what type of event means more money to a restaurant near a convention? venue you know obviously when it's an event open to the general public that's going to be a little tricky because they're from the area they can walk around drive around go back home when you have a convention crowd and something like the dnc you're kind of keeping them in that constricted area and if we can keep them within that four or five block radius around mccormick place and give them some options then they're going to be spending some more money right they might come in two three times during their stay and we even see trickle over into our other location franco's restaurant in bridgeport that they'll take that five-minute Uber ride and go explore in these neighborhoods. So we always like when it's these, you know, big shows that people are stuck in town for a couple days and they explore all the options. And the Democratic National Convention coming up uh, later this summer, you're going to have the delegates. You will have uh, reporters who uh, are are showing up to uh, cover the convention. You'll have the technicians who are wiring the United Center for for national coverage. I mean, just an army of people uh, descending upon the city. And uh, as you mentioned, if they can't get into a place downtown, they'll go into the neighborhoods. Absolutely. And, you know, they, they stay what's convenient if they can walk or take an Uber somewhere. And you know what? We feed the staff from that are putting on the shows. We'll do some caterings. And then we do a lot of private events and buyouts. So for any person that owns a restaurant or a business, this is the time in the summer between the good weather plus these shows coming in. This is really when you're going to make up for the, those losses you're taking in the winter. We're talking to Frank LaRuffalo, managing partner of Franco's Restaurant Group in Chicago. What is the state of the local restaurant industry? I mean, we're talking about all these lucrative shows uh, coming into the 
the city. We're talking about the DNC. I'm sure you guys did probably did fairly well last year with uh, NASCAR and Taylor Swift and Beyonce. Yep. Uh, what a difference a couple of years makes, I would imagine. Absolutely. I mean, you look at, at COVID to now, once these shows are back, you're really seeing the uh, the influx in traffic. And, and that's what Chicago's been for, right? You have two Chicago that's really, you know, doing their job and trying to get as many shows here as they can. And, and it makes a difference from our places by McCormick Place, even to our local restaurants. And that's what you want to see. And then uh, very quickly, I mean, uh, how high is the floor for a restaurant near downtown Chicago? Because it's simply because the Loop has become a vibrant, thriving neighborhood. I mean, people live there. Absolutely. And you know what? You just have to be able to take any sort of, uh, you know, conventioneer, business person, local customer, and cater to everyone's needs right now. Because when people come out, they're looking for good service, looking for good ambiance. And if you're able to provide that, then you hopefully get a repeat customer. Frank Ruffalo, managing partner of Franco's Restaurant Group in Chicago, managing five restaurants in the city, including Il Culicino, which is across the street from McCormick Place. Coming up, a preview of the new Titanic exhibit that opens tomorrow in suburban Chicago. An economy of words. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. An all-new interactive exhibition featuring hundreds of artifacts from the Titanic and much more opens at Westfield Old Orchard in Skokie tomorrow. Let's learn what it's all about from Tom Zoller, president and CEO of Imagine Exhibitions, the company behind Titanic, the exhibit. Tom, thank you for joining us once again. And the last time we spoke, Tom, I think it was back in December, and that was just before tickets went on sale. And it appears uh, this is one of the hottest tickets in town. I mean, can you still get in or is it entirely sold out? Yeah, there's definitely there's some windows open there for sure. We have lots of sold out days. The, the, the response has been tremendous. So, uh, yeah, I would definitely tell people to plan in advance and don't just show up, think you're going to take it because it, it has been selling very, very well. Now, Tom, by the time this day is over, you're going to be sick of me because I think we're going to be speaking <laughs> again uh, this evening during the media preview. And we'll, that that's where we'll have uh, you and I, the, uh, the the Titanic geek discussion, because you've actually been to the shipwreck. Uh, you went down yeah. in one of the uh, Russian submersibles about 25 years ago. You've actually uh, uh, been on the decks of the Titanic. And uh, very quickly, you know, as, as someone who's followed the story, what is that experience like to actually be there after hearing about it for so many years? I mean, it's uh, all that you can imagine and more. Um, you know, being, first of all, not being a submarine expert, right? Being a novice, 25 years ago, I'd never been inside of a submarine. Uh, having the opportunity to get inside of what is not a large submersible, right? You climb through, if you can imagine a very small hatch at the top of the submarine, it's about you know, less than two feet wide and cramming yourself down into this little submersible that is you know, six feet in diameter on the inside with two grown men next to you. So you're three people in this little tiny capsule and then to be lifted and put into the, the North Atlantic Ocean where you're gonna spend 12 hours in the submersible uh, as you go down two and a half miles, it's 12,500 feet deep where the Titanic is. And it is, uh, you know, as as you get lowered in, it's it's sort of when that hatch closes, you know that they are, um, you know, you, there's no turning back. Uh, and it's you're going to be in this place with these people for this, you know, 12 hour journey, two and a half miles, two and a half hours down when that. Caribbean blue water slowly fades into black and you spend two hours descending in almost complete darkness. 
Uh, we always talk about it like that moment in the theater when the lights go down. You have that sort of that moment of anticipation before the film starts or the show starts. Well, imagine two and a half hours of that anticipation and build up, and then you land on the bottom of the ocean. Uh, and you look out the porthole, and because you've landed, you have sort of a cloud outside. But as you get your buoyancy and you start to sort of fly towards the ship, and all of a sudden she appears in, in all of her majesty, it's like uh, it's an incredibly powerful emotional experience, both to be that close to the Titanic, but then also to as you fly across the seabed or as you look along the side and you can see into where captain Smith's cabin was, or you can see the propellers smashed and mangled in the ground, or you fly over a shoe or a hat. You remember your birth in this incredible majestical place, but it's also, you know, where a lot of lives were lost. Um, so it's a very powerful emotional journey along with, I mean, the adrenaline pumping moments of, you know, you're diving in this submersible for, you know, 12,500 feet. If a pin prick in this steel submersible would happen, you would implode. Uh, it's, so it's, there's a lot of emotion. There's a, a lot to that story that's hard to, you know, encapsulate into just a, you know, a short conversation, but it's, it was an amazing experience. For well, sure. I was going to say, gonna say that, Tom, depending on uh, your attitude about driving on the Eden's Expressway, uh, going to Old Orchard <laughs> will be nowhere near as arduous as the uh, two-hour, two-mile journey uh, to the wreck of the Titanic. But uh, if you do have tickets to this uh, exhibition, what are some of the things you will see? Yeah, so the exhibition is sort of takes place in a chronological way um, where we take you back in time. Uh, we, you know, you go in the experience and we will take you back to the, the people who had this idea uh, of, of building these ships and changing transatlantic ocean traffic travel. We'll take you to the Belfast shipyards. We'll take you to the dock in Southampton where they boarded the ship. And then you'll go on board and you'll get a boarding pass so you can relate to one of the passengers, uh, passengers on board, whether first, second, third class or crew. You'll go down a first-class hallway. You'll see a first-class cabin. You'll understand how they ate and how they lived. You'll see a recreation of the famous Grand Staircase. We'll take you in down a third-class hallway and see a third-class cabin to see how the other half lived. We'll take you down below decks and see a, a recreation of the Titanic boiler, how the crew lived. You'll go out on the promenade deck and see a starry night. You'll, you'll come around the corner and see an iceberg. You're going to touch that iceberg and feel how cold the water was in the North Atlantic. We're going to take you down to the bottom of the ocean. So it's, it's quite a journey. You know, it's, it's sort of, I think if I always think of Titanic as the original immersive experience. I've been doing these exhibitions for 25 years and they just continue to, you know, to touch the hearts and minds of, of people who see them all over the world. Tom Zoller, oh, president. Something. Well, I'm going to say I, I will see I will see more and uh, pick more of your brain tonight uh, at yeah. the uh, exhibition. Tom Zoller, president and CEO of Imagine Exhibitions, the company behind Titanic, the exhibit, and uh, my video tour of the uh, exhibition because I'm one of those Titanic nerds. You don't want to watch the movie with me because I'm I'm insufferable. But if you want lots of facts and trivia, it's going to be a lot of fun. It'll be on the uh, the the uh, on WBBM's uh, social media channels before too long. You're listening to the W. 
WBBM Noon Business Hour. Wanting to keep up financially with neighbors and friends can be a motivator, but there are also potential pitfalls. Let's get the perspective of Craig, Polan- Craig Bolanos, founder, par- founding partner and chief executive officer of the Wealth Management Group with offices in Inverness and Downers Grove. Craig, thank you for joining us today. There's nothing wrong with being driven, Craig. I mean, and wherever you find your motivation, that's up to you. But uh, being driven is is perfectly fine. But where does the desire to keep up with your neighbors, whether financially or as far as in, in, in terms of other status symbols, when does that turn toxic? Oh, everybody knows the line because we all know who the Joneses are. They live two doors down. They got the greatest cars. They have the best parties. And every time we check them out on Instagram, their vacations look 10 times superior to ours. But yeah, the Joneses, they're probably broke. And if you don't want to be broke, you need to think differently. And you're right, Rob, where does that toxicity first show up? It shows up in that monthly recurring credit card balance that we just can't pay off. And once we start having that revolving charge card balance, if we're waking up with a financial hangover, that's our cue to say, hey, wait a second, I need to be true to myself. I don't need to chase my neighbor. Now, at what point, though, uh, do you go from I should scale back my own aspirations and my own spending to maybe I should just find a find a way to move ahead in my career? Well, I think it's about this. I think everyone needs to understand what's important about money to them at a particular time in our life. Because, Rob, we've talked about this before in the Noon Business Hour. Money means different things to each of us at different times in our life. And if we know what's going to make us feel confident, what's going to radiate self-control, I think that starts with creating a series of goals for ourselves which oftentimes means creating a budget and starting to tell our money where to go instead of wondering where it went. And that's the key to unlocking good conversations for each of us to have a healthy relationship with money that then transfers to a healthy career. Now, Craig, I'm sure you, uh, without uh, betraying too many confidences, I'm sure you have uh, uh, managed the finances of quite a few Joneses over the course of your career. And uh, do they come about their uh, money legitimately or or are they uh, uh, able to act flashy and go on great vacations because they're the beneficiaries of generational wealth or they're not spending or they are running up a credit card? Well, you know what? At the end of the day, Rob, you're right. Both personally where I live and professionally what I do, I run into lots of people. But the Joneses, the Joneses aren't real. The Joneses are, again, those people who have created a fictitious life. They're basically broke. But there certainly are people who have achieved great wealth. And those people who have achieved great wealth either have received multi-generational transfers of wealth, they've inherited it, or they're people that have done it the old-fashioned way. They They earned it. They earned it, thank you, (laughs) which meant they lived, they lived like other people did not live so they could pursue their passions in the future. And I think it's within each and every one of us to control our own destiny and have that healthy relationship with money. And the best thing to do is just get started. Again, not tomorrow, not next week, but let's start today understanding what's important about money to us and then use online tools, professional help, whatever it is to work towards those end goals. Craig Bolanos, founding partner and chief executive officer of the Wealth Management Group in Inverness and Downers Grove. Glad you can uh, enjoy a good John Houseman reference this afternoon. Call from mom. Answer it. 
Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. We're learning a little bit more about yesterday's deadly Super Bowl celebration shooting in Kansas City. Several government units are working together to try to close a gap involving funding for migrant services in the Chicago area. It's Technology Thursday. The use of robots and artificial intelligence may be the key to solving a labor shortage. O'Hare will be the beneficiary of tens of millions of federal dollars for airport upgrades. Business, the markets are higher. The Dow is up 278 points. The NASDAQ is up 43. And the S&P 500 is up 27. Right now in Chicago, we have 40 degrees under mostly sunny skies. Topping out in the low 40s this afternoon. It's 1231. Topping our news at the half hour. Preliminary reports indicate no terrorism or extremism is linked to yesterday's shooting at the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade. One woman was killed. 22 others were hurt. Kansas City Police Chief Stacy Graves spoke this morning. The 22 victims age range between 8 years old and 47 years old. At least half of our victims are under the age of 16. Graves says two of the three people detained in connection with the incident are juveniles and that several firearms have been recovered. Governor Pritzker and Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle are announcing a plan to close the gap in funding of shelter and health care services for migrants. Teams from the state, county, and city have found that an estimated $321 million is needed for this calendar year. On top of previously committed money, the state and county are pledging a combined investment of more than $250 million to help reach that projection. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are higher today. We're joined by Art Hogan, Chief Market Strategist, B. Riley Financial, based in New York. Art, thank you for joining us today. And it seems that at least as far as the Dow is concerned, uh, the markets are pretty close to recovering all of their losses from that sell-off earlier in the week. Yeah, it's a couple of days to uh, grind some of that back. Uh, that clawback really comes when you get the chance to take a step back and say, you know, how much did the CPI really miss by? That was the driver for the down day. Combined with the fact that how tightly wound up was this market, meaning we've been up 14 in the last 15 weeks. We certainly had gotten into overbought territory on, on a technical indicator level. Um, and, and clearly the market was looking for an excuse to take some froth off the top. So that happened in one fell swoop. And we went from uh, overbought to neutral in market terms um, in over a couple days. And now we're grinding higher, but I think we're grinding higher in a healthier way. I say that is because if you look at the small caps, whether you look at the Russell 2000 or the S&P 600 small caps, they're outperforming both the S&P, the NASDAQ, and the Dow over this last couple of days. 
and they've actually outperformed since the, the, the lows we put in last November. So I think the market's trying to broaden out here, and I think it's broadening out because there's an interpretation that the economy is still moving along nicely and interest rates likely are heading lower. Number is out today. Retail sales dropping by eight-tenths of a percent in the month of January. I mean, not a big shocker, of course, that retail sales would uh, slow down compared to uh, December and the holiday season. But that was a lot more than the uh, than economists' expectations. And, and what can we make of that? Well, I think you have to look at these things over a three-month period, right? We had a huge surprise in both November and de- December in terms of retail sales, to your point. Um, so, therefore, we oftentimes think there, there's a bit of a pull forward uh, in demand. I think that's one piece of the puzzle. But also, both you and I know, uh, you in Chicago and me here in Boston, that it, it clearly has a lot of weather impact. There was uh, some pretty bad weather in some places that aren't used to it during the course of the month. That certainly impacts retail sales. I think January is one of the toughest months to measure for a lot of economic data. There's a lot of seasonal seasonal adjustments that are made. I would certainly think that retail sales are going to be okay here. I think the consumer continues to be confident um, and household balance sheets continue to be strong, but uh, one month is certainly not a, a pattern. And earnings season continues. Uh, what are some of the uh, 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 reports that are jumping out to you that either are a good kind of surprise or a bad kind of surprise? Well, I would say broadly that the market has actually done very well in terms of reports. Now, the bar was lowered a bit coming into the fourth quarter, and uh, estimates had come down, so the bar was easier to beat. But if you take a look holistically and say, how have we done? And we're, we're about 75% through the S&P 500 reports, and about 80% of companies are beating on the earnings line, and about 70% are beating on the revenue line. That's just slightly above the average. And I would say that, in general, estimates for 2024 have not come down. That's a very good sign. So we suspect that uh, the S&P 500 will have high single or low double-digit earnings growth this year, at least from what we know so far. So that's a good sign. I would also say that the, the, the reaction function – to companies that missed was much larger this quarter than it was the three quarters before that. Meaning if you missed on any one of the boxes you need to check, you missed on earnings, revenues, or if you gave lackluster guidance, the reaction function was much larger for that than if you actually beat. So the market is uh, likely pricing in some uh, pretty good news, and you can't upset them during the earnings reporting season. Art Hogan, Chief Market Strategist, B. B. Riley Financial, based in New York. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Technology Thursday, solving a labor shortage by recruiting robots. A deposit for your future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Technology Thursday. As the U.S. deals with a labor shortage, there's a hope that tech can help save the day. Let's look at some of the potential solutions with Matt Wren, founder and chief technology officer of VRAR in Chicago. Matt, thank you for joining us today. The idea of the time and labor-saving robot is not necessarily new. You've seen them deployed in factories, especially in the automaking space for decades, but it would appear that uh, robots are seeing more applications across a wider variety of businesses. Yeah, I mean, the one that comes to mind that a lot of people are should be aware of at this point is, you know, the robots that are driving around like Amazon factories where, you know, it, it, normally if in a pick and pack factory, you'd have people walking through shelves and picking things. And the way that it works now in an Amazon factory is that the shelves are actually picked up by these little robots and they're moved to the people who are packing the boxes. So that's one example. Um, but there's, there's lots of others in the way that the advances are taking place right now. 
Now, was this a a, a technology that or, or a concept? It was a, it predated the Great Resignation, but I would imagine as the uh, labor market went through a lot of churn coming out of the co- the COVID shutdowns, uh, they saw greater applications and in more places in which to apply it. Yeah, I mean, it's the combination of AI and robotics. So you got to look at both things. And the one thing I'll say, too, is that there, there's there seems to be a little bit of a almost a disappointment that the, the pace has been slower than expected. The, the pandemic definitely accelerated certain things, just like it accelerated a lot of companies to realize that work from home is good. Other companies realize, hey, you know, some of these things that we, we can't have people on site anymore, automation works a little bit better. So you look at the, the places where you know, the combination of AI and robotics or one of the other has been applicable, that's where you see the acceleration. But it's definitely, you know, more on what I will say, kind of like lower level or easier to learn, easier to automate jobs, things like customer service reps or driving applications or um, some basic research, things like that. Is this a situation as far as, you know, putting these robots, let's talk about the Amazon facility or other warehouses, uh, are the robots replacing workers? Are they taking the place of workers? Uh, they're having a hard time hiring? Or is this uh, merely enhancing the productivity of workers who are already there and it's not having any impact on headcount whatsoever? I would definitely say it's both. So, you know, there it is Automation in any way, shape, or form is definitely going to displace some jobs, but in doing so, it's also going to then create other jobs. Um, there was a World Economic Forum study, I, I can't remember when it was, 2020, 2022, something like that, that estimated AI is going to replace something like 85 million jobs worldwide. And in the same report, it says, but it's going to create 97 million jobs in the same time frame. So, yeah, it's going to displace certain roles in like in one facility, it might displace certain roles, but it might then also create jobs in you know, another part of the economy. And then how are current AI applications, and we've learned an awful lot about them, and even uh, in office functions, talking to people around here, uh, they have all said they're, they're, they're using AI more and more compared to six months ago, and especially compared to a year ago. So the, the AI applications we're familiar with right now, um, or that may be in development, how can they make uh, these uh, aut- the automation better in some of these warehouse facilities or, el- or elsewhere? Well, I mean, think about the things that you're think about the things that you've personally tried AI for. I'm sure you've tried ChatGPT. So, what are you asking it to do a lot of the time? You're asking it to come up with ideas to maybe start a blog post, or you're asking it for research on a specific topic. So, roles that a person might have done previously, you can make those a little bit more efficient. Where you used to have a research analyst, maybe the AI helps you a little bit, not completing the research, but starting it. Uh, whether that's scientific research or, you know, if you're a lawyer and you're doing legal research or if you're a financial trader and you're doing financial research, all of that sort of all of that technology can be, I'll say, augmented with artificial intelligence. Uh, at the same time, you know, we spoke about the warehouse. It's not necessarily going to replace all the people in the warehouse who are doing things like picking and packing. It can just make it a little bit more efficient. So, you know, the AI is definitely improving the efficiency in some of those roles. And so you'll see, yeah, I wouldn't say it's necessarily at the point of replacing people. You know, there's a big question. I'm a, I'm a technology person. So there's always the big question of when is AI going to be able to displace programmers? I don't think it will anytime soon because you don't just need to know how to write the functions. You need to know how to put the different functions together and how to actually architect an application in order to do development. So there's, 
it's it's getting there. It's improving, but I don't think it's really at the point where it's going to be displacing you know massive amounts of workers in the near future. And as it does displace them, it'll create new opportunities. Matt Wren, founder and chief technology officer, VRAR in Chicago. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. O'Hare will be receiving $40 million in federal funding as part of a $970 million package that's being awarded to more than 100 U.S. airports. Let's see what that money is expected to be used for with Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services and Director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul University. Joe, thank you for joining us today. Uh, what does $40 million buy you at O'Hare these days? I mean, outside of a, a cup of coffee at one of the more overpriced uh, 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 <laughs> coffee shops at the airport. Yeah, you know, it's the big dollars are spent at airports, so this is, you know, not the uh, final word on O'Hare, but it really is gratifying. I've been looking through the awards this morning, and we actually got uh, the largest award for a terminal project of this kind, $40 million. And what's notable about this is going to go to Terminal 3, which is uh, out with, you know, a lot of American Airlines uh, flights and so forth. And so there's um, interesting that the big terminal improvements that we're all looking for in the next couple of years are rebuilding Terminal 2, for example. This uh, shores up a terminal that's sort of been overlooked in this whole process. Is this all in response to the uh, air travel meltdown we saw at, at the end of 2022, uh, that sudden rebound in passenger service uh, coming out of the, the depths of the pandemic? You know, we are seeing numbers now consistently above pre-pandemic, and that's a big deal because that business travel is still uh, below. So people are in pleasure flights and personal business are just way up. And we're seeing that Terminal 3, you go out there and the the crowding in those corridors. So this money is going to be used to widen the corridors, you know, to deal with that crush of traffic as well as do some other improvements for uh, disabled passengers and others. And it's... uh, it's going to go a long way because the terminal is already there, and now uh, we can modernize it, and that'll sort of set the stage for the bigger stuff at Terminal 2 coming down the road. And then just to, to, to face the, the uh, really address the challenge of moving people through the airport, um, it seems like the two choke points are the security checkpoints, getting people through security and into the terminal and on the way to their flight, and also when it comes to baggage and making sure your baggage gets to you in a timely fashion. And it would appear that uh, the grant that was awarded uh, today, the $40 million, and then the $50 million from last year, uh, could address both of those needs. It is. Yeah, baggage is a part of this, and a lot of those baggage uh, facilities date back, you know, to the 60s or 70s, some of the basic infrastructure there. And we're seeing in recent uh, months or years that people are just bringing more baggage again. So while they were trying to avoid those fees, now they're coming to the airport with two giant suitcases, and the systems have been overwhelmed in some cases. And so uh, that should speed things up, and that really uh, will help, you know, clear traffic through the airport a little faster. And and what a difference four years makes, because... uh... Four years ago, give or take a couple of months and a couple of weeks around this time, I mean, O'Hare Airport was a ghost town. And I remember driving on I-90 northwest of the airport, and you would see just like fleets of airliners parked uh, on the far side of the airport because they weren't going anywhere. And now we're talking about uh, uh, putting hundreds, over $100 million into the airport uh, to accommodate uh, greater crowds than before. That's right. You look at a lot of the airports that got grants, and they're smaller airports and leisure destinations down in the south and so forth. So uh, this terminal uh, effort is really a post-pandemic reality of people getting to the airport earlier. They're spending more money. Uh, planes are becoming bigger, so some of the gates uh, don't work anymore. And, you know, with that, I think what's what's remarkable is 
we um, uh, we had pretty good growth before the pandemic, but the bounce back has been faster than most people expected. Uh, fuel prices have been low, and that's, of course, uh, give a shot in the arm to the industry. Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services and Director of the Chattuck Institute at DePaul University. Thank you for joining us today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.